Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Beloved listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlotte Ekonomo and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Meron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, question for the priest, reading from spiritual books, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ιραιάς Μητροπόλεως Νέας Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Access Radio 106,1 FM η οποία γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας κύριος κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλη την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας από την οποία εύχομαι όλοι μας να οφειληθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας με την προσευχή Βασιλέ Φουράνιε. Βασιλέ Φουράνιε, παράκλητε, το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, Ελθέ και σκήνωσον εν ημίν, και καθάρισον ημάς από πάσης κυλίδος, και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present, and fillest all things, treasury of good things, and giver of life, Come and dwell in us, and cleanse us from all impurities, and save our souls, O Gracious One. Let's spend some time now talking about important church events, as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes, whom we commemorate either today, or will do so during the week to come. 
Today is Judgment Sunday and we will hear about this from Father Pavlos later in the program. I will speak about St. Philothé of Athens, whom we commemorate today, the Eromartyr Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, whom we will remember, God willing, on the 23rd, and the first and second finding of the Honourable Head of the Holy Glorious Prophet, Forerunner and Baptist of the Lord, John, which we will celebrate on the 24th. As we've said previously, the reason we read and talk about important church events and our saints is so that we learn from these and apply these learnings to our, our everyday lives, essentially to give us the courage and the strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. Let's start out by speaking about St. Philothé of Athens. St. Philothé was born in Athens in 1522 to rich and eminent parents who, despite their wealth and status, were also deeply devout. Many times her kind-hearted mother had prayed to the Most Holy Theodokos for a child, and her fervent prayers were heard. A daughter was born to the couple, and they named her Revula. The parents raised their daughter in deep piety, and when she was 12 years old, they gave her away in marriage. Her husband turned out to be an impious and crude man who often beat and tormented his wife, but she patiently endured the abuse, and she prayed to God that he might bring her husband to, her sense, to his senses. After three years, Revula's husband died, and she began to labour in fasting, vigil, and prayer. She founded a woman's monastery in the name of the Apostle Andrew the First Called, and when the monastery was completed, she was the first to accept monastic tonsure with the name Philothea. During this time, Greece was suffering under Turkish oppression, and many Athenians had been turned into slaves by the Turks. Saint Philothea utilised all her means to free her fellow countrywoman, ransoming many from servitude. Once, four women ran away from their Turkish masters after they had demanded that they renounce their Christianity and they took refuge in the monastery of St. Philothée. The Turks, having learned where the Greek woman had gone, burst into the saint's cell and beat her. They took her to the governor who threw the holy ascetic into prison. In the morning, a mob of Turks had gathered and they led her out of the prison. The governor said that if she did not renounce Christ, she would be hacked to pieces. Just when St. Philothé was ready to accept a martyr's crown, a crowd of Christians assembled by the grace of God. They pacified the judges and freed the holy ascetic. Returning to her monastery, St. Philothé continued with her efforts of abstinence, prayer and vigil, for which she was granted the gift of wonder-working. In Patisia, an Athens suburb, she founded a new monastery where she struggled in asceticism with the sisters. During the vigil for St. Dionysios the Arabayiti, the Turks seized the saint and tortured her. Finally, they threw her down on the ground half dead. 
The sisters tearfully brought her, flowing with blood where she died on February the 19th in 1589. Shortly after, the relics of the holy martyr Philothé were taken to the Athens Cathedral Church. Let's now speak about the Eromartira Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna. Saint Polycarp, who was fruitful in every good work, was born in the first century and lived in Smyrna in Asia Minor. He was orphaned at an early age, but at the direction of an angel, he was raised by the pious widow Calista. After her death, Polycarp gave away his possessions and began to lead a chaste life caring for the weak and sick. He was very fond of and close to St. Bucolus, who ordained him as a deacon, entrusting him to preach the word of God in church. He also ordained him to the holy priesthood. The holy apostle John the theologian, who was still alive at this time, and St. Polycarp were especially close and sometimes accompanied him on his apostolic journeys. Shortly before his death, St. Bucolos expressed his wish that Polycarp be made Bishop of Smyrna, and when he was consecrated as a bishop, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. The saint guided his flock with apostolic zeal, and he was also greatly loved by the clergy. St. Ignatius, the God-bearer of Antioch, also had a high regard for him, and setting out for Rome where his execution awaited him, he wrote to St. Polycarp, saying, This age is in need of you if it is to reach God, just as pilots need winds, and as a storm-tossed sailor needs a port. The Emperor Marcus Aurelius, on ascending to the Roman throne, started up a most fierce persecution against Christians. The pagans demanded that the judge search for St. Polycarp, the father of all the Christians and the seducer of all Asia. During this time, St. Polycarp, at the persistent urging of his flock, stayed in a small village not far from Smyrna. When the soldiers came for him, he went out to them and invited them in to eat. He asked for time to pray in order to prepare himself for martyrdom. His suffering and death are recorded in the epistle of the Christians of the Church of Smyrna to the other churches, one of the most ancient memorials of Christian literature. 
Having been brought to trial, St. Polycarp firmly confessed his faith in Christ and was condemned to be burned alive. The executioners wanted to nail him to a post, but he declared that God would give him the strength to endure the flames, so they could merely tie him with ropes. The flames encircled the saint, but did not touch him, coming together over his head in the shape of a vault. Seeing that the fire did not that sorry, seeing that the fire did not harm him, the pagan stabbed him with a dagger. So much blood flowed from his wound that it extinguished the flames. The body of the Eromartira Polycarp was then cremated. The Christians of Smyrna reverently gathered up what had remained of his holy relics, and each year they celebrated the day of his martyrdom. A story has been preserved about St. Polycarp by his disciple, St. Irenaeus of Lyons, which Evsevios cites in his ecclesiastical history. I was still very young when I saw you in Asia Minor at Polycarp's, writes St. Irenaeus to his friend Florinus, but I would still be able to point out the place where blessed Polycarp sat and conversed and be able to depict his walk his mannerisms in life, his outward appearance, his speaking to people, his companionable wandering with John, and how he himself related together with other eyewitnesses of the Lord. Those things that he remembered from the words of others, he also told what he heard from them about the Lord, his teachings and miracles. Through the mercy of God to me, I then already listened attentively to Polycarp and wrote down his words, not on tablets, but in the depths of my heart. Therefore, I am able to bear witness before God that if this blessed and apostolic elder heard something similar to your fallacy, he would immediately stop up his ears and express his indignation with his usual phrase, Good God! that thou hast permitted me to be alive at such a time. During his life, the holy bishop wrote several epistles to the flock and letters to various individuals. The only one that has survived to the present day is his epistle to the Philippians, which St. Jerome testifies was read in the churches of Asia Minor at divine services. It was written by the saint in response to the request of the Philippians to send them some letters of the Eromartira Ignatius, which St. Polycarp had in his possession. <laughs>
Let's now speak about the first and second finding of the Honourable Head of the Holy Glorious Prophet Forerunner and Baptist of the Lord John. After the beheading of the Holy Prophet Forerunner and Baptist John, his body was buried by disciples in the Sumerian city of Sevaste, and his venerable head was hidden by Herodias in an unclean place. St. Joanna, the wife of King Herod's steward, secretly took the holy head and placed it into a vessel and buried it on the Mount of Olives in one of Herod's properties. After many years, this property passed into the possession of a government official who became a monk with the name of Innocent. Monk Innocent built a church in Selvia, but when they started to dig the foundation, the vessel with the venerable head of John the Baptist was uncovered. Monk Innocent recognised its great holiness from the signs of grace emanating from it. This was the first finding of the head. Innocent preserved it with great piety, but, fearful that the holy relic might be abused by unbelievers, he again hid it in that same place where it was found before his own death. Upon his death the church fell into ruin and was destroyed. During the days of St. Constantine the Great, when Christianity began to flourish, the Holy Forerunner appeared twice to two monks travelling to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to the holy places, and he revealed the location of his head. The monks uncovered the holy relic, and placing it into a sack of camel hair, they proceeded homewards. Along the way they encountered an unnamed potter, and gave him the precious burden to carry. The potter, not knowing what he was carrying, continued on his way, but the holy forerunner appeared to him and ordered him to flee from the careless and lazy monks with what he held in his hands. The potter concealed himself from the monks and at home he preserved the venerable head with reverence. Before his death he placed it in a water jug and gave it to his sister. From that time, the venerable head was successfully preserved by devout Christians until the priest, Aphstathios, who was an Arian heretic, came into possession of it. He lured a multitude of sick people who had been healed by the holy head, saying that they were cured because it was in the possession of an Arian. When his blasphemy was uncovered, he was compelled to flee. After he buried the holy relic in a cave near Emesa, the heretic intended to return later and use it for disseminating lies. God, however, did not permit this, and so pious monks settled in the cave, and then a monastery was built there. In the year 452, St. John the Baptist appeared to Archimandriti Marcellius of, of this monastery and told him where his head was hidden. This became celebrated as the second finding. The holy relic was then transferred to a Mesa and later to Constantinople. <laughs>
If you've just joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio, 106.1 FM. I'm Carlota Economo, and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programs at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for question for the priest, and Father Meletheos, priest, monk and abbot from our monastery in Levin, will answer the question, What is incense and why do we sense? Incense and sensing, two terms, matter and action. Whether one or the other is mentioned, in our mind an image is created that is inseparable from prayer, in church or in home. Frankincense, or Livani, is an aromatic raisin that develops a strong pleasant smell, which is used for sensing. When a piece of raisin is placed on the coals, incense melts and rises in rings of white smoke of pleasant odor. Getting frankincense raisin by making cuts on trees in subtropical areas reaches deep into the history. One of the earliest references mentioning incense is in Genesis 37:25, and refers to the desert merchants Ismailitas to whom the sons of Jacob sold their brother Joseph. In the Old Testament, also frequently mentioned is incense from Arabia, as well as its preparation and its use in liturgical purposes. Incense was in the Old World because of its rarity and because of its use, one of very precious materials, and that is the reason why three Magi offered it to the newborn divine child Christ, along with gold and myrrh. Traditionally, this precious gift was offered to honor important people. Incense was once carried before kings and important nobility in public, for example. When we sense the holy gifts, an icon or a person, we are showing honor and respect. Although the sensing and incense were spread through all religions, Acceptance of it by the Christian Church is not simple adoption of the elements of pagan worship, as some would like to portray, or a matter of imitation, but something that has a basis in scriptures. So in the book of Malachi, it is written that in messianic time, from east to sundown, a pure sacrifice and sensing will be offered to God. By pure sacrifice, the earliest Christian writers like Justin the Martyr understand the Holy Eucharist, bread and wine, and the sensing the use of incense. Incense is a spiritual fragrance. A sweet fragrance fills the church or the home when we burn incense and by this simple act affecting what is perhaps our most sensitive sense, the sense of smell. Our mind is instantly lifted up from earth to heaven. Cares are melting away and we can pray better. Incense goes up, which signifies our prayer going up to the heavenly altar of God. In return, God sends down the grace of His Holy Spirit. The going up of the incense signifies our prayers as they go up. The fragrance of the incense signifies the sweetness of God's grace as it comes down. Such a perfect and simple action, symbolizing such an amazing exchange. In the revelation of John, incense symbolizes the prayers of the saints in heaven. The golden bowl full of incense are the prayers of the saints, which infuse upwards towards the altar of God. From Psalm 140, sung in Esperino. Lord, I have cried unto you, hear unto me. Attend the voice of my supplication. 
When I cry unto you, hear unto me, O Lord. Let my prayer be set forth as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Hear unto me, O Lord. For two thousand years the Church has chanted these psalm verses every day at Vespers, and for nearly a thousand years before that, the Church of the Old Testament, the Israelites, chanted them at the evening offering of incense in the Temple of Jerusalem, in the daily prayers of the synagogue. This verse, like many others in the Holy Scriptures, indicates the central role that incense has in the true worship of God. We sense the altar table as God's throne and the Holy of Holies. We sense the icons in the church that are reminding us on true presence of heaven on earth and give us vivid examples of successful stories of the personal theosis of the saints. We sense the bodies of our brothers and sisters in Christ, departed from this life before and during funeral services, to show that their bodies are the temples of Holy Spirit and that our unity in Christ is not broken by temporal separation through death. We also sense the people present, the living members of the church, to underline our unity with the saints through the grace of God and through sharing in the image of God. Everybody and everything is being sensed during the service to emphasize the essential unity of those in heaven and on earth, as well as our participation in heavenly things during services. That is why we not just have a liturgy, but divine liturgy, where people are united with Christ, through Christ, and in Christ our God. Therefore, we use incense and censor for our own spiritual awakening and for making our experience of worship more complete. It is important to realize that not only do we offer incense in church, but we also offer incense in our homes, to sanctify our homes and daily activities, to lift up our minds to God, to calm family members when they are upset by problems and disagreements, and to drive off the influence of demons. It is traditional that a head of house, the father or the mother of the family, sends the house daily. This creates a holy, sanctified atmosphere of peace and prayer in the home, lifting up the minds of the family members to God, to the mother of God, to the saints, to the kingdom of God where our true life is, and of which our home is to be both an image and a portal. We need for that three items, a hand sensor, timiato, charcoals or charcoal dust, carbonica, and incense, Livani. After the incense is burnt, we take the hand censer and make the sign of the cross over it, and then sense the icons in each room, starting with our family iconostasio. We can also make the cross in the four directions, in the order east, south, west, north, and east again, of each room. At night, we can also make the cross over the beds in the bedrooms before we retire, or over our children after they are in bed. Traditionally, we say the psalm, Eleison Melthos, Have mercy on your God, which is the Psalm 50, as we sense. If we have not memorized this psalm, we can say the prayer of the heart, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, or any favorite psalms of church hymns that we know. The important thing is that perform the sensing with a prayer. Incense, like many symbolic things and actions of our faith, has several layers of meaning and purpose. The meaning of the incense is beautifully summarized by the prayer that the priest says in the altar every time he blesses the incense when the altar server brings him the censer. Incense we offer unto you, O Christ our God, as an odor of spiritual fragrance. Receiving it upon your most heavenly altar, send down upon us in return the grace of your all-holy spirit.
Today's Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. The Lord said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Father Pavlos will now explain this gospel reading to us. Dear listeners to the radio program of the Sacred Metropolis in New Zealand, it is again my privilege and honor to speak to you as we are at the doorstep of Lent. This Sunday which we have in front of us, is the Sunday of the, what is called the Sunday of the Last Judgment. And yortazume in Kireki tis krisios ton anthropon, pu o Theos tha tonisis to telos du eonos. Ki apto inu polis pudeo, yeti emis san kristiani, san anthropi tu Theu, prepi na xerme ti tha gini sto telos. O Theos den prepi na mas topi, omos, bori na min mas topi, ala Φαίνεται ότι θέλει να ξέρουμε εμείς, γι' αυτό το λόγο μας το είπε. It's important for us human beings to know what God has planned for the end of humanity, if you will. And uh, we could say that uh, we have a necessity to know. On the other hand, God is not, has no necessity to tell us. Uh, he doesn't have to reveal anything to us. On the other hand, God, being kind and loving, uh, has decided to share with us what will be at the last judgment. And uh, it's a very interesting story. Όταν ακούμε το Ευαγγέλιο, ξέρουμε ακριβώς τι θα μας πει ο Θεός στο τέλος του αιώνος. Όταν, έχει, ό, όταν έρθει ο, ο Υιός του ανθρώπου εν τη δόξα με, με τους αγγέλους αυτού. Και 
Αυτό σημαίνει δηλαδή όταν ο Χριστός θα, θα ξαναρθεί, που λέμε τη δεύτερη παρουσία. Uh, what we're speaking about, of course, is the second coming of the Lord. We call it in Greek the δεύτερη παρουσία, a second a presence or second uh, appearance, uh, second coming. And this is important for us to know because what it was the first coming. The first coming, of course, was when the Lord came in all humility in the manger. Now, we shouldn't assume that when the Lord comes in his glory, he is not also coming in humility. He is and will always be a humble God. So even when he comes in his glory, we should know that still Christ will always be the humble Savior who bore uh, the wounds of the cross for our salvation. So we shouldn't think that it's a different God who is coming. It's the same God. But now he comes in his glorified body, that is to say, having risen from the dead, having conquered death. And he comes... At the end of all time, when all, everyone who's had a chance, who's been, uh, let's say, ordained by God to live on this earth, has lived. And uh, and that could be millions of people, billions of people, of course, by now it's billions of people. could be trillions of people. We don't know, of course, when God will say that the end has come. But uh, we wait patiently, and we try to live a righteous life until then. Και ο Χριστός όταν έρθει, λέει, θα μαζεύει τους ανθρώπους, όλα τα έθνη. Αυτό σημαίνει ότι δεν θα, κρίσει, θα κρίνει μόνο τους Εβραίους που ήταν ο λαός του, θα κρίνει όλο τον κόσμο, γιατί όλοι μας έχουμε μια αυθύνη μπροστά του Θεού, ενώπιον του Θεού. Δεν μπορούμε να πούμε ότι εγώ δεν, είμαι, δεν πιστεύω τίποτα, ο Θεός τι είναι, δεν υπάρχει Θεός. Ε, εγώ εφόσον δεν πιστεύω, τι να με κρίνει ο Θεός. Uh, someone could say, and it would be wrong of course, the judgment has nothing to do with me, since I don't believe in God, I will never be judged. Of course, that would be absurd to think that way. If there really is a God, that God is going to judge all of us, whether we believe in him or we don't believe in him. And that God is going to gather us all together. And he's going to separate us, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Also, dimin chorizi ta provata apota gizia. Ketsi ta valit ta kala provata to dexio tu keri. Keta gizia sto aristero. Keta leis ta αυτοί που είναι στο δεξιό χέρι, ελάτε, ευλογημένου του πατρός μου. Come, O you who are blessed of my father. I prepared for you a kingdom from the foundation of the world. Αυτό είναι πολύ σπουδαίο, ότι ο Θεός έχει ετοιμάσει για αυτοί που ακολουθούν το δρόμο του Θεού από την αρχή του κόσμου. Κάτι πολύ ωραίο, πολύ σπουδαίο, που δεν μπορούμε να φανταστούμε. Beyond our comprehension and our knowledge to imagine what exactly God has prepared for those who love him. And, uh, you know, if we're saying, well, what's the point of uh, holding out for something we don't even know what it's, what's there? All you can say is, if you've experienced, even in your life, one moment of love, then you know what paradise will hold. Because paradise will be a place of love unending. So if you've had even one moment in your life where you felt truly loved, that's paradise, that's heaven. And God will give that to those who love him in, in, an, in an boundless measure, immeasurably. So that as day after day goes by in, in eternity, we will feel the presence and love of God more greatly. And it's a love that is so complete and so profound because it covers every part of who we are. Όταν κάποιος λέει ότι δεν ξέρει τι θα υπάρχει στο παράδεισο, γιατί να περιμένω τόσο καιρό για κάτι που ούτε ούτε οι άγιοι δεν ξέρουν τι έχει. Δηλαδή, έτσι λένε, μερικοί που μιλάνε. Αλλά αυτό που μας περιμένει είναι πολύ απλό να ξέρουμε γιατί είναι... Ο τόπος της αγάπης. Η θηλία των ουρανών είναι ο τόπος της αγάπης. Και όταν κάποιος που ζει σε αυτό το κόσμο, που μπορεί να είναι γεμάτο από αμφίες και δυσκολίες, αλλά άμα έχουμε νιώθει για μια στιγμή μια αγάπη αληθινή, 
Ξέρουμε λοιπόν τι θα έχει ο παραδεισός. Θα είναι τέλεια αγάπη χωρίς τέλος. Τέλεια αγάπη χωρίς τέλος. Ας το λέμε έτσι. Perfect love without end is what heaven has for us. So it is, there is, should be the wonderful motivation for us to seek after that heaven. So when Christ is separating the sheep from the goats, we have to ask ourselves, do I want to be in a place where there is perfect love forever? Τέλεια αγάπη χωρίς τέλος. Έτσι, εκεί θέλω να είμαι. Άμα θέλω εγώ να είμαι εκεί, πρέπει να είμαι εγώ άνθρωπος της αγάπης. And really that's what this whole uh, uh, story from our Lord is about. We want to know what is the last judgment. We want to know what's coming, what's, what's awaiting us. We should know that it's, Christ is going to ask us a very simple question. Did you show love on earth for those who are in need? Δεν μπορούμε να πούμε ένα ψέμα μπροστά στο τέλος, γιατί έτσι θα είναι η κρίση. Όλα θα είναι γυμνά. Ό,τι έχουμε κάνει θα είναι φανερό και γυμνό μπροστά σε όλο τον κόσμο. Δεν μπορούμε να κρίνουμε, να, να, να κρυφτούμε. Everything will be laid bare in those days, everything that we've done. And I've done many bad things myself in my life, and I'm not proud of them. But thank God for confession, and thank God for a chance to repent. But when, when we come to the last judgment, all those things will be revealed, whether we wanted them to be known or we don't want them to be known. Um, and so God will say to us a very simple question. When I was... When I was hungry, you gave me food. Or did you give me food? That's going to be the question. When I was a stranger, did you welcome me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was sick, did you visit me? When I was in prison, did you come to me? Those are simple kinds of questions. Someone can say, well, I don't know anybody. I don't know how I could have done that for you, Lord. First of all, you send them to heaven. How can I serve you? And the one who says, I never even believed in you. How, why would I have done any of those things? Christ says that there's a judgment now. So we have to know that These are the questions that are going to be asked. Εμείς που ξέρουμε, που πιστεύουμε στο Θεό, πρέπει να ξέρουμε ότι έτσι αυτός θα μας ρωτήσει στο τέλος. Ήμουν γυμνός, μου έδωσες ρούχα, πεινασμένος, μου έδωσες φαγητό, λείψασμένος, μου έδωσες να πιω. Ήμουν άρρωστος, ήρθες να με δεις. Τέτοια πράγματα. Να μην νομίζουμε ότι είναι πολύ δύσκολα αυτά που θα μας ρωτήσει ο Θεός. Θα μας ρωτήσει δηλαδή σε απλά λόγια. Αγάπησες κανέναν εκτός από τον εαυτό σου. Do you love anyone besides yourself? That is real, the, the truest test. Someone can say, well, I love my children. Okay, bravo, so you love your children. That can be a very beautiful and perfect love, and it can be a saving love. But we have to be careful there, too. Do I love my children because they make me look good, because they're intelligent, because they, they've given me a good name? Or do we love our children because of, of what they bring to the world? And that has nothing to do with us, perhaps, or maybe it has something to do with us, but we try to, in humility, not to say, well, it's because of me, I gave them a good education, or I gave... My daughter, great opportunities, and that's why she's so progressed, and that's why she's so knowledgeable. It's all about me, me, me. If it's all about me, how can we receive a reward at the judgment? Because we did it for ourselves. We didn't do it for our daughter. But if we did it for our daughter, we brought her to school, provided for her, we helped her to have a good home, without expecting anything in return, not even a thank you, then really we will have shown love. But hard to show love that way for your own family. Of course you expect a thank you. So who do you love that can not return that love back? That's why Christ says, I was, I was sick and you visited me. What can the sick person do for us? How can they make our life better? The person who's naked, how can, how can we be blessed by the naked person? I remember being in India and visiting a, an orphanage there, a, um, a little girl who was completely naked, a little five, six-year-old girl, except for one little, she wore around her, her neck, a little uh, necklace of some sort. All her parents could afford. They wanted her to have some beauty. They gave her that. 
well, you know, can you see that there are people in this world who have needs, great needs? We, they need to be clothed. They need to be fed. And you say, well, Father Paul, what about in our Auckland? There are people here in Auckland or in, or in Wellington? And yes, even here there are people who have needs, and we have to somehow find them. And, and if we can't help someone who needs physical uh, clothing or physical drink, we also have to help them spiritually. And that's, of course, the great work of the Church, to help people spiritually, to feed their souls, to feed their, their, their hearts, to clothe them, to not be shamed before the judgment seat because of their nakedness, but to clothe them with the beautiful white garment of baptism. These are very important things that we need to do, and that's why we should also support the Church, to do the work of Church. So the Church has always a twofold outreach, and that is orthopraxia and orthodoxia. And we, we shouldn't separate them. We have to care for the needy. We have to reach out to people's hurting souls. And when you, if you think somehow that you haven't done enough for the poor, do something from now. It's never too late to try and start again. Oh. Uh-huh.
As we have done over most of the last few weeks and all of last year, we will read a little more about St. Nectarios, given that our Metropolitan has asked that we try and speak a little about his life as often as we can. So let's pick up where we left off from the book St. Nectarios of Aegina, the Saint of Our Century, by Sotos Hondropoulos. 
We're now at chapter 20. As the winter grew deeper and darker, Nectarios would often read a newspaper after his prayers and supplications. As he read headlines announcing murders of brothers to defend honour, fights over disagreements, girls who had fallen into the wrong path of life, and other such situations, he could not help but cry. His heart raced so fast when he read such things that he could hardly catch his breath. Dear God, he prayed, how can the terrible adversary have taken these people so easily? How can it be that they will lose their souls because of their ignorance? Please forgive them, enlighten them, strengthen them, and especially protect the unsuspecting and innocent victims such as the poor girls of the world who are such easy prey for the adversary. He thought of preparing a supplication service for these unfortunate people with a special emphasis on the unprotected girls who unsuspectingly fall into a life of sin. He felt that each child of God who lost her soul was a lost chapter for mankind and for the tiny new nation. He felt that each girl should be placed on a pedestal of respect, for if she walked properly towards the sacrament of marriage and became a mother, then a host of descendants would revere her. Woe to the girl who was unaware of the life of the holy lady Theodokos and the guidelines her virtuous life set forth. However, if she chose to follow the monastic path and carried her burden of the holy cross, then she would become a guide to many others, a legend of patience amidst the flames of temptation for her dedication to Christ. The supplication was never written, but was simultaneously in his heart and on his lips. For every sorrow and every problem, he implored the holy Theodokos for help, and increasingly became even closer to her. Like a son speaking to his mother after praying to the Blessed Virgin, his sorrows miraculously turned into hopes. For the past few years, Nectarios had pleaded to the Blessed Virgin Mother for the improvement of the students of Rosarios. By this time, his prayers had become almost fully granted. Most of the students graduated as prospects regarded, readied, sorry, for the ministry of the church, full of faith and piety. They often asked Nectarios for guidance in the struggle they were assuming. Among the many, Nectarios recognized a few who would surely excel and become foundations of faith for the people. He also prayed for orthodox monasticism. It was not turning out the great scholars and preachers of dogma that it had in the past. Though there were a few exemptions, he knew that the people needed these examples and their guidance because of the nature of their faith. Being unaware of the treasures of the church, people became more concerned with the sensationalism of miracles than almost, than almost anything else. They venerated those saints who were blessed with miraculous powers of healing, just as they needed the healings of Jesus 1900 years before. Of course, 
There were those people who still prayed to St. John Chrysostom and St. Basil, but their true greatness and the depth of their contributions was somehow overlooked. Nectarios, however, understood why the people sought miracles amidst the suffering that existed. Despite the hard work and almost endless effort he put into the books so as to give Christians the proper guidance and fortitude, Nectarios, even in his own day, was most known for the various healings through holy unction or the casting away of demons. These small signs did not faze him, for the power of the Holy Spirit from which they are delivered has been with the church from, a be from its beginnings. Fame, he felt, should be left for Christ and no one else. For the sake of monasticism, Nectarios organized a supplication service with the students of Rizarios and also provided the chanting, Pray tonight, my children, each one of you individually, to the Holy Lady Theotokos, that she will make the tree of Orthodox monasticism grow and bloom once again. If this happens, our country shall achieve great things. Nectarios knew that the 20th century, with all its fame and pride of human worth, was to be feared, without fear of God in the submission to his will rather than to man's, and without reverence for eternal morals and values, civilization would crumble, leading way to the worst devastation and pain of mankind. After the supplication service, Nectarios was overwhelmed with love for these young men with their beautiful souls. He approached each one and blessed them. He suggested that they pass by his office the next day so that he could give, give each one of them his book on Christology with a personal inscription in it. Chapter 21 the Rizarios school was finally running smoothly. There were no major problems of any sort. There were no arguments and there was no anger. With the help of God, with faith and with perseverance, the number of students attending the school began to multiply. Some minor annoyances still existed though. Several students continued misbehaving and there was still criticism about Nectarios's directorship. Nectarios had become, on the most part, accustomed to the latter, and, as always, he avoided even the smallest confrontation by remaining silent. About that same time, a new director of the three-man committee was appointed. The man was from Ibiros, and he quickly found the loyalty of a certain scholarship student. Viewing the director as a Christian benefactor who would protect him, the young student was willing to submit, albeit blindly, to any of his requests. He knew that if he found favour in the director's eyes that his advancement, and thus the future of his family, would be almost guaranteed. That is why he accepted the mission the director entrusted him with. Not only did he accept it readily, but also with pride. The young student was to quietly watch every move, every comment and every argument that went on in the school and then report back to the director secretly. 
Indeed, it is such situations that allow the evil destroyer to bring confusion and pain to so many. The students kept his ears and eyes open continuously and finally he stumbled on something, an oversight involving the food supplier to the school and the school's cook, created by a situation that had many students complaining about the quality of the food. In the meantime, he noticed the help which Nectarios was offering to Crisanti and her friends. That is why, when he reported his findings to the director, the student more or less said that the dean was more interested in a few poor girls, including one blind one, than his duty to mind the quality of the school's food. That's all that we've got time to read from this book today, but God willing, we'll continue reading from it again next week. So, as we're nearing the end of our time together today, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM and hope you'll join us again next Sunday. I'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them, and a special thanks today to Fathers Pavlos and Malathios. We look forward to seeing you soon, and may our beloved Christos and Panagia bless and protect us all, and may the upcoming period of Great Lent be one of enlightenment and repentance for us all. Chiarete. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.